my weekly's magical flying bookshop your feel-good fiction podcast sponsored by pavers pop on your favorite pair of slippers curl up in the comfiest chair and listen to your favorite authors chat away in my weekly's magical flying bookshop landing wherever you are so come on in and join me claire gill our bookshop host as we hear from one of my weekly's favorite authors like any good story there are three parts to our podcast in the first chapter we kick off with a short story or an extract from our guest's latest book the middle chatty chapter is quiz the author where the author answers all your questions followed by book post our final cozy chapter with a roundup of the hotly tipped book of the week this week we are joined by the talented sarah morgan Sunday Times and USA Today best-selling author has sold over 21 million copies of her books. Found nestled somewhere between women's fiction and contemporary romance, Sarah's pages are filled with warmth and humour. This global author has been translated into 28 languages. A wannabe writer from the age of eight, Sarah swapped ER as a nurse for writing. A fan of travel, she says sitting in silence, typing all day is torture and has been known to talk to her laptop. Her books have been cited as comfort reading at its best. Welcome, Sarah, to the My Weekly's Magical Flying Bookshop. Do come in. It's lovely to have you here. Hi, Claire. Thank you for having me. It's very exciting. Chapter one, Reading Corner. Make yourself at home with a comfy chair and cuppa as Sarah reads a short story she wrote called The Perfect Gift. My Weekly prides itself on its fabulous fiction. Take it away, Sarah. Thank you. Right, The Perfect Gift. This is a short story that I wrote um, a couple of years ago for My Weekly, um, and I'm going to read it now. The man standing next to her was pleading with the sales assistant. I don't have a clue. You have to help me. The girl, who clearly thought customer service was optional, gave him a weary look. Scarf, she thrust one towards him and he took it doubtfully. I want to get her something special. Purse, she already has a purse. Why would she need another? The girl shrugged. It's the thought that counts. Only if it's a good thought, surely. I want to get her something she'll love. Poppy lingered by the counter, shamelessly eavesdropping. She thought back to the previous Christmas when Rob had bought her an oversized bottle of cheap perfume that still had the duty-free sticker on it. He hadn't thought, I want to get her something she'll love. He'd thought, I'm about to break up with my fiancé, so I'm not going to waste money on her Christmas gift. It restored her faith in human nature to know that not everybody felt that way. She knew she shouldn't interfere, but she couldn't help it. Her own relationship had withered and died, but maybe she could give a little boost to someone else's. She stepped forward. Can I help you? He looked surprised. You do that? His suit suggested a traditional corporate type of job, but his actions suggested the sensitive, thoughtful type, and he had the bluest eyes she'd ever seen. Of course, you're obviously buying a gift for someone special. He handed the scarf back to the assistant. She's my whole world. Poppy was speared with envy. She'd never been anyone's whole world. She wasn't sure she'd even been a small country. She'd never mattered that much to anyone. A gift should be personal, so tell me something about her. The sales assistant rolled her eyes and turned away to serve another customer. The man didn't seem to notice. He was considering Poppy's question. 
Well, she's always been the adventurous type. This Christmas, we were going to see the Northern Lights. She's dreamed of it for a long time, and it's something I wanted us to do together. The Northern Lights. Poppy had dreamed of it too. Her father had proposed to her mother in a small romantic cabin in the Arctic Circle. Poppy had never grown tired of hearing the story, even though she blamed them entirely for her ridiculously high expectations about relationships and romance. She wanted a love like theirs, and then she'd met Rob. The Northern Lights, he'd frowned when she told him the story. Is that up in Manchester, further north? You sure you want to see them? A load of lights doesn't sound very eco and you're always turning lights off. She told him about the Aurora Borealis and showed him on a map, hoping that maybe he'd take a hint and surprise her with a trip the way her father had surprised her mother. Maybe even a proposal. You can see them sometimes from Scotland, but my parents went to the Arctic. She and Rob rarely travelled further than Ealing. She was desperate for them to be more adventurous. When he'd proposed, it had been in the frozen food aisle of the local supermarket. You said you wanted to be proposed to somewhere cold. He'd thought it was hilarious, but Poppy knew that whenever she looked at her ring, she'd think of chicken nuggets. And how would she frame the proposal story for their children? Before she could think about what to say, they were surrounded by shoppers all eager for something to lift the tedium of filling their baskets. Go on, love, say yes, urged the woman in the red coat, reaching for a packet of frozen peas from behind Poppy. A couple who shops together stays together, said another woman, both hands filled with tubs of ice cream. Shopping together wasn't her idea of the perfect shared activity. Poppy felt the chill creep under her coat and thought, this isn't the way my dream looked. But she knew her dreams were unrealistic and somehow found herself saying yes, even though a part of her was yelling no. When their relationship ended, it was hard to know which of them was more relieved. Poppy's biggest disappointment was that she wouldn't get to see the Northern Lights. And now she was trying not to think about Christmas. She'd be spending it alone in the flat she'd once shared with Rob. She'd stocked up on drink and planned to spend the whole time slumped in front of the TV watching snowy movies where everyone had perfect lives. This man and the love of his life would be spending the festive season with their arms wrapped around each other making memories. She forced herself to concentrate on the task in hand. She sounds like quite the action woman. Poppy hoped she knew how lucky she was. She's incredible, he said, but it makes her hard to buy gifts for. She's not the type who likes to accumulate possessions. Well, if she likes to travel, you could buy her something related to that. If you're going to see the Northern Lights, it'll be cold. Cashmere, a new camera to photograph the experience. She listed all the things she would have loved Rob to buy her. She'd dropped so many hints, the flat was like an obstacle course. Rob had never bought her an experience, but if he had, it would have been something for himself, a trip round a brewery or football tickets. A new camera is a great idea. The man removed his glasses, polished off the rain so he could see her more clearly. Maybe she'd just prefer to use her phone. She doesn't even own a smartphone. Camera is genius, thank you. I'm Luke. He held out his hand and she took it feeling more electricity in that brief encounter than she had in her entire relationship with Rob. I'm Poppy. She pulled her hand away, embarrassed. He was completely devoted to the woman in his life, and here she was having indecent thoughts. Still, it cheered her to know that part of her was still alive and not deep frozen forever by her experience in the supermarket aisle. And it proved to her again that she should be happy her relationship had ended. Not wanting to spend Christmas alone wasn't a reason to continue a relationship. Somewhere out there was a man who might think she was his whole world. She wasn't willing to settle for less, 
And if she had to wait for adventure, then she'd wait. Well, Poppy, I'm grateful. You're welcome. Have a wonderful Christmas. And he would, of course, because he'd be waking up in the land of the midnight sun with a woman who loved him. You too. Are you spending it with family, he asked her. I'll be on my own. He studied her for a moment. Is that difficult or exciting? On the one hand, it's hard when everywhere you look, you're surrounded by images of happy families. But on the other hand, you can go anywhere, do anything. Poppy felt something shift inside her. Go anywhere, do anything. Why hadn't she thought of it that way? She had money saved for a rainy day. Maybe this was that day. Instead of waiting for someone to share her dream of seeing the Northern Lights, she could take a trip by herself. She could see the place her parents loved so much. Even without a proposal, it would be special. Not an act of love in the way theirs had been, but an act of self-love. And that counted too, didn't it? It's exciting, she said. And for the first time since Rob had slammed the door behind him, it felt that way. The adventurous side of her had been bursting to get out for a while. Her mistake had been thinking she needed someone to be adventurous with. She could be adventurous alone. She would be adventurous alone. She almost hugged Luke out of sheer gratitude, but she managed to rein herself in and shake his hand one more time. Two weeks later, and just three days before Christmas, she was standing in the queue at the airport wearing the cashmere jumper she'd bought herself as a treat, because why couldn't a girl buy her own gifts? And there he was, Luke, casually dressed this time, but definitely him, same blue eyes and the same smile. She waved and then snatched her hand back quickly. What was she thinking? Now he'd have to explain why a blonde stranger was waving to him. She expected him to ignore her, but he didn't. He waved back and strode across to her, kissing her as if they were old friends. Poppy, it's fantastic to see you. Tell me you're going to see the Northern Lights. I am. You inspired me, but you needn't worry, she said quickly. I won't be following you around. I didn't know this was the tour you'd booked, obviously. That's a coincidence. Did the special woman in your life like her gift? She loved it. Poppy searched for an adventurous-looking woman with a camera dangling round her neck. She's probably wondering why you're kissing a strange blonde. She'd be delighted to see me kissing a strange blonde, although I think of you more as a kindred spirit than strange. Poppy was confused. She would, but she's old-fashioned. She wants to see me settled with a family, which is ironic given that she's the original adventurous single woman. If she were here now and saw us talking, she'd be matchmaking like mad. It would be embarrassing. I went with your suggestion, by the way. He held up the camera as evidence. Unfortunately, she won't be able to use it in person. She slipped on the ice two weeks ago and bruised her hip. She's mad with herself, of course. It's not easy being 90. She's not well enough to travel, but she insisted I come and photograph everything with her new camera. 90? Poppy looked at him stupidly and his eyes narrowed. Yes. Why, what did you... He gave a slow smile of comprehension. You thought she was my... Your whole world. Poppy was breathless. You said she was your whole world. She is. He spoke softly. She's my grandmother. My parents were killed when I was six weeks old and she raised me, sacrificed so much so that I could have everything. I assumed you were buying the gift for your wife. No wife, although my grandmother lectures me on that regularly. Poppy had a lump in her throat. You're lucky to have someone so special in your life. I am, but I can't believe you thought, well, I assumed. Yes, I can see why, actually. His gaze was very blue. Let's start this again, shall we? I'm Luke. 
you're Poppy. Can I ask you a favor? My grandmother made me promise to take photos of every stage of my trip. This probably counts as the beginning, so should we take one? It felt like a beginning to her, although the beginning of what, she wasn't entirely sure yet. A relationship? Maybe. But most of all, it was the beginning of a brand new adventurous version of herself. It seemed fitting to take that photo together, since he was the reason she was here. So she posed with him, beaming into the camera as he extended his arm and took a photograph. There, I'll send it, and then sit back and wait for the inevitable questions. He tucked the camera away. They're calling our flight. I don't suppose, yes, she was proud of her new daring self. Yes, I would like to share this adventure with you. He smiled, and you can help me with the photographs as the camera was your idea. I'm so grateful to you for that. And she was grateful to him. What he'd given her was priceless, the perfect gift. Thanks for that fabulous short story, Sarah. And we can't wait to hear some more about your new novel too, after this short break. We hope you're enjoying My Weekly's Magical Flying Bookshop. Whether you're curled up at home in your favourite pair of slippers or listening as you stroll in the perfect pair of comfortable shoes. We're sponsored by Pavers, the family-run shoe company founded by Kathy Paver in 1971. Oh, happy 50th birthday, Pavers. With hundreds of styles available for women and men, Pavers prides himself on having a wide range of sizes available, one to 10 for women, and six to 14 for men, as well as a huge range of widths for each size and style, all so that you can find your perfect style. And you can feel good about shopping there too. Pavers is the first major shoe retailer to achieve carbon neutral international certification and has given away more than a million pounds to date through the Pavers Foundation, where employees can apply for grants for their local community. Plus, until the end of August 2022, my weekly's Magical Flying Bookshop listeners can get free delivery. Just quote Weekly One, that's W E E K L Y One, as in the number one, when you order. So, whether you're tucked up at home, out for a walk, heading into the office, or dressing up for a special occasion, find your perfect style at pavers.co.uk. That's P A V E R S.co.uk. Now, let me top up my tea and then let's get back to the episode. Chapter 2 Quiz the Author. This is the chapter where you get to quiz your favourite author. And don't forget you can send in your questions for future guests. Leave a voicemail on 01382 575 486 or record a voice memo on your phone and email it to flyingbookshop at myweekly.co.uk or just send an email to that address with your question. Follow us on social media to find out who our next guests are or head over to our website www.myweekly.co.uk forward slash podcasts. Here we are on our bookshelf with its stunningly sparkly snowy Christmas cover, The Christmas Escape by Sarah Morgan. As the blurb says, could friendship be the most precious Christmas gift of all? Christy Sullivan has planned the perfect Christmas escape, a trip to Lapland with her family and best friend Alex. But facing a make-or-break marriage crisis, Christy needs time alone with her husband. The solution? 
Alex can take Christy's daughter to Lapland and they will reunite there for Christmas Day. What else are friends for? As secrets unravel and unexpected romance shines under the northern lights, can Christy and Alex's festive escape give them the courage to fight for the relationships they really want and save the precious gifts of each other's friendship? First of all, I wanted to say how this book makes me want to jump on a plane and go back to Lapland. I'm thinking of your description. She leaned forward in her seat as the road curved its way through endless snow-covered forests of spruce and pine, mountains rising in the distance. It was a frozen, snowy wonderland. You can just smell the birch and the pine trees. We visited Finnish Lapland a few years ago with the children, so I was interested to see that you'd based your latest in Swedish Lapland, Was this a conscious decision? It was a conscious decision. Um, Lapland obviously covers a huge area and I wanted to pick one very specific area of Lapland and having been to Sweden myself I felt that I could bring you know a little bit of personal knowledge to it although unlike you Claire I'm not lucky enough to have actually been to Lapland Um, that's going to have to be on my to-do list for the future Uh, So, yes, I just wanted to to make it in one very specific area of Lapland. Oh, it's absolutely worth it. And you do have to go, Sarah. But I also love the nods to the Swedish culture. We actually nearly ended up moving to Sweden. And I must say the Fika was one of the reasons that I really wanted to go there. Who wouldn't love a coffee and cake break? When you were writing The Christmas Escape, Is this an 11 o'clock rule that you implemented? Oh, well, I do that anyway. (laughs) Maybe I am Swedish secretly. Yes, absolutely. 11 o'clock coffee and cake, definitely. Um, And I was, I, whenever I'm uh, writing a book set in a certain place, I try and introduce elements into my life that make me uh, more aware of the place I'm writing about, if you like. So we were, my family were absolutely sick of me making cinnamon buns by the end of it. At the beginning, it was a real treat and delicious. But, you know, after five months of writing the book, I don't think they want to see another cinnamon bun for a while. But it was great fun. Uh, so you're definitely 11 o'clock fika, definitely. Oh, it's absolutely the rule. You also say that although you've not been to Lapland, you've been to Sweden. And for me, you really got into the heart of the culture and the country with detailed terminology, such as talking about the aurora all over, the auroras of the Northern Lights. I want to know, have you seen them and are they as magical as you envisage or how did you go about your research for this element? Well, research is a is a really interesting part of being a writer, obviously. Um, I haven't seen them. In, in, in this particular instance, I haven't been to Lapland. Often when I write a book, if I can go there, then I like to and I try to. And for many of my books, I have been there. But sometimes the reality of you know, deadlines and workload mean I can't always visit the place that I'm writing about. Um, And obviously, this was in the middle of a pandemic. So there was no traveling. So it was all done through research. But that's one of the beauties now of the internet, you can pretty much get get a real feel for anywhere you're writing about. I, I laughed with somebody the other day, because somebody on YouTube will have filmed the road you want to go down. So you find some obscure mountain road in America. And if you type it into YouTube, you can guarantee that somebody has filmed it so that you can actually describe the scenery. And it really is like that now, which is wonderful. But for this particular um, book, I I obviously used Instagram a lot. You follow Swedish Lapland and you're going to get some absolutely stunning photographs. But I also did something that I hadn't done before. Um, A family member had a 
VR headset uh, last Christmas, which was when uh, I was writing this book. And so they were plugging me into this VR of, of husky rides through Swedish Lapland. So, I mean, I the dog was actually coming. I don't know if you've ever used a VR headset. It's quite, it's quite unsettling, actually. And the dog was sort of coming up to my face and then we're going through the forest. So it's almost as if you're there. It's just incredible. So that's the sort of research that I was doing. And I have a couple of Swedish friends. So, you know, I was sort of checking a few bits with them. But no, I wasn't, sadly, I wasn't able to go myself. But as I say, uh, now that hopefully travel is resuming, that's something on my bucket list. What an ingenious way to research. I certainly have used a VR headset. Our house is very, very techy house. And I really commend you for, for going to those lengths because it really did feel, you know, if you hadn't have told me that you hadn't experienced that, I, I actually would have put money on that you had because um, it seemed to come through the detail and the colour that you've added to your book. And talking of sort of stunning settings, the charismatic description of the New York Hotel Alex was staying in at Christmas. It wanted again to make me dive on a plane. I think I'm just going to camp out the airport from now on. (laughs) How important is it to have some festive travel in your books? Well, I mean, you definitely need festive um, elements that I think that's what's important about the Christmas book because I I write uh, two books generally, two books a year, one summer and one Christmas. And, you know, the Christmas books are all about introducing those festive elements. And I think it's nice occasionally to have some variety. So obviously we're in very, very rural Lapland for most of this story. But we open, as you say, in glittering New York and indeed in, you know, a little country cottage in uh, you know, little English traditional country cottage. So there is a bit of variety, which which is always useful because then you manage to get that glitter. But really with the New York scenes, I was showing the difference between Alex, the friend, um, you know, and Christy, the heroine, because Alex is very much a city girl. Um, so finding herself in the middle of Lapland is a whole new experience for her and one she's not entirely sure she's going to enjoy. I definitely think that came across. And talking of the characters in The Christmas Escape is this idea of friendship and family bonds there's the sense that Christy and Alex are more like sisters than friends how important was it to sort of shine a light on strong female friendship that they can almost become family the essence of life changing in Alex's words what would this mean for their friendship yes it was very much a book about friendship actually um, and I think friends can indeed be like family but one of the things that I really wanted to explore in this story was how friendship changes over time. So Alex and Christy have been friends since they were very, very young. Uh, and obviously what you, you tell each other, everything when you're 12 and you're 16, but what happens when you, you know, you're in your late 20s, 30s, where, where does that change? And then when one of you gets married, which is what's happened with Christy, what sort of pressures does that put on a friendship? Because inevitably it has to change. And can your relationship change with it? Because, you know, your needs um, and what you can give as a friend uh, are going to change as your own life changes. So really it was an exploration of how friendship changes and whether friendship can change. Can you still maintain such a close bond um, when you're perhaps committed to other people, you know, in your life. As Christy gets married, she has a child, inevitably it's going to change. And that's one of the things that I wanted to explore. I definitely think that change in relationship through the ages came through. And also in terms of family, in terms of roles within family, for Christy, she loved being the homemaker. But there is that sense of what is left of her. How important was it to highlight through Christy's identity that sense of losing things when you are 
are all about the family and Seb's sense of family of everything being sucked up by money, you know, that he felt the pressure of being a breadwinner. How important was it to define these two very different viewpoints of Seb and of Christy? Oh, it was very important because um, from Seb's point of view, everything that he did was completely logical. Um, you know, he felt all that pressure to be the breadwinner, um, and, but he didn't share it with her because that's also sharing pressure and he was trying to protect. So everything that he did came from a very logical place when you look at his background. Um, and Christy, of course, was the same. And and people do behave like that. You know, when, whenever we make choices, we're usually making them because of our own past experiences, you know, our own lived experiences. Um, and they may seem nonsensical to someone else, but to you, they're completely logical. And that's one of the fun things as a writer, of course, because you can explore all these different approaches and no two characters will ever make the same choices, um, which is why we can carry on writing stories again and again, because no two people are the same and no two choices are going to be the same. It all depends on your own experience and, and you know, your own beliefs. I think that's so true. And I think one of the amazing things about author is, is making those decisions on which path are you going to take the character down I think that's really amazing talking of sort of family Robin has been estranged from hers for three decades we all know families are complicated engines and every family unit has its ghost and it's falling out but the Christmas escape is a story of family rediscovering each other if you like of new bonds and new relationships being formed why did you feel so compelled to explore this issue the idea of escaping from the past and moving into the future yes I'm always fascinated by complicated families I mean, complicated friendships, any complicated relationship really is obviously real fodder for a writer. But I'm interested in what families, what breaks a family apart, what a family can forgive. And again, it goes back to your own experiences. But Robin's sister, who is Christie's mother, who's obviously not in the book because she she's she's died, but Robin's sister could not forgive her for things that she'd done years before. Um and I wanted to explore that really. And of course, she had her own reasons. This is, uh, Christy's mother had her own reasons for not forgiving her sister. Um, but that was something that had stayed between them and that was never mended. So if you like, it's being mended now in this next generation because Christy reaches out to her. Um, so I suppose I also wanted to explore, you know, what you forgive in a family, um, what you forgive in a friendship, because, you know, that's part of what's between Alex and Christy. But, you know, whether you can heal these rifts, is, is there a rift that's too great to be healed or can you kind of bring it together again. I liked the idea that although the rift had been there and had never been healed while um, Chrissy's mother was alive, later it was and it sort of comes full circle so that the family is bonded again. And I and with the book, you should be left with the feeling that this is something moving forward that they're going to build together, you know, that this family will endure and um, grow stronger. There was definitely that sense of contentment at the end, you know, everything had been tied up and that, that they had got this future to move towards. That definitely came across. And it's also packed with Christmas, not just love, but Christmas. Um, we have Alex who works for a toy company and she's known as the queen of Christmas at work with Arctic range of toys that made me sort of want to be a child again and live in the story. I mean, you've got a board <laughs> game there set in Lapland. How fun was it to weave these ideas, these toy inventions um, that were course fictitious but into the story oh that was great fun I mean really great fun and I like the idea that you know Alex was a toy expert which actually did um 
did link back to her own background, uh, where her parents used to give her. Well, I don't, anyway, I don't want to spoil. It's difficult to know how <laughs> no much spoil, yes. isn't it? <laughs> but it, yeah, it did link. There was a logic to her being this toy expert. But yes, I had great fun inventing Arctic and Arctic range, and yeah, I wanted to go off and do it. <laughs> Arctic Monopoly. <laughs> There's some merch ideas there. Honestly, I was reading it and thinking, what a great idea. I would love to play that. You know, never mind about my children. <laughs> what have a go with that? So thanks for creating that world. That was great. It's such a snowy sort of escape in Lapland, in particular, where Alex is talking about going dog sledging on Christmas Eve. And talking about the day before Christmas, she says it was usually her favorite day because Christmas was still to come. I absolutely agree with that kind of statement that there is so much magic in that kind of anticipation of Christmas Eve. Is this how you feel about Christmas Eve? Yes, I mean, I love it. I, I love Christmas, which is one of the reasons that I write, you know, write every single year. I write a Christmas book. And I think the anticipation and the build is part of the fun of it. And it's the time that you... Um, you have your own Christmas traditions and obviously everybody has their own. Uh, and I love those, the build up, the getting the tree, the decorating, you know, the baking and all the things that you do. Yes, I do. And of course, once Christmas Day comes, then it's it's downhill, isn't it? Because it's over. <laughs> so I think I do enjoy the anticipation. And for me, when I'm writing, because I start my Christmas book in about October, um, you know, so I'm, I'm, I have the longest build up and anticipation of anybody really. My family are used to me playing Christmas music in October when actually, you know, it's still quite warm outside sometimes. <laughs> the harder bit is when you hit January and everyone else is putting Christmas behind them, but I'm probably still writing it and it's much harder to feel festive after Christmas. So yes, I think I do enjoy the anticipation, uh, the build up. Excellent. And who doesn't? But Amongst all these Christmas festivities and warmth, there was a really interesting point that you made that made me automatically think back to my A-level English Lit teacher. She said something like, there is an average amount of books that you will read in your lifetime. And her point was, don't waste it on books that you're not enjoying. And it's always, always stuck with me. And you make a comment about Christy eyeing up a slim book that's won a big award, but she just can't get into it. And she couldn't bring herself to read it because it was a book that she felt would make her miserable. I wanted to know, is this your voice coming through here in Christy? And is this why you chose to write heartwarming fiction? Yes, that's quite interesting. I, that probably is slightly my voice. It is a discussion that I have frequently with um, friends and family. You know, if you're, if you're not enjoying a book, should you carry on? And I tend to think life's too short. If you're not enjoying it, if it's hard work, put it down. Um, although it does depend on the book because if you're really learning something from it and it might be quite hard to read it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to abandon it but if you're really not enjoying a book then I think probably it's worth abandoning it but I know many people who would disagree with me um, and of course reading um, it's a funny thing isn't it because reading is quite aspirational and you're often judged by your reading so people are often afraid to admit what they're reading um, you know, they talk about guilty pleasures and, you know, why should you be guilty for reading something that you enjoy? You know, you can pass your time any way you like. So I think um, 
it's up to the individual. Some people feel they absolutely have to finish a book no matter what. And I think one of the um, advantages and disadvantages of book groups is sometimes it's good to read stuff you wouldn't normally pick up. You might discover all sorts of authors. Um, but I think part of Christie's situation in that book was that she was desperately trying to fit in with the local community um, and she wasn't really fitting in and she wasn't enjoying any of it. So it wasn't sort of a one-off book that she just happened to not be enjoying. She was trying desperately to fit into this local community. It just wasn't really working for her but it is an interesting debate whether you finish a book if you're not enjoying it it's funny because before this role I was fiction commission editor at my weekly and again like this role read a lot of books and often in different genres that I not necessarily would have chosen myself but I'm glad I did but I always do remember at the back of my mind that comment that life is too short I think you're right we shouldn't feel guilty if we choose to move on from a book and I also agree that your particular writing is you know, so heartwarming. I'm thinking particularly of a passage where the three-year-old daughter, Holly, is trying to make things better. And you say, Holly scrambled from the chair and wrapped her arms around Christy's legs. Kisses, mend, everything. How do you pour so much warmth into the pages? And what happens if you're having a bad day? Because a phrase like that just warms anybody's heart. (laughs) Oh, well, bad days, you write through bad days because this is my job, so I'll do it. But you know, it's never... Um, I write hopeful fiction. So I, I mean, I do tackle big themes. And these are things that happen to people all the time. People go through rough times. But I suppose what I'm always showing and exploring is how you handle that um, and how you come through that. And, you know, my characters, the books are always hopeful. And I think that's really important. And I think that's because that's what I'm like myself. So I suppose I do just reflect the way I think, really. But yes, I mean, you know, if you're having a bad day, it isn't actually always hard to write happy stuff if you're having a bad day. Sometimes it's, you know, it's a bit of an escape yourself. I think it's true to say that your characters do get into your head. As a reader, I felt like they were, you know, real sort of human beings and you've acknowledged this yourself in your writing. So I want to know, number one, is there going to be a sequel? For me, there definitely seem to be so many opportunities for Christy. I'm not going to spoil it, but there was hints at the end there what what was going on in their next stage of their life. And also for Alex as well, and and Robin as well with with Lapland and whether everybody's going to visit again. Um, So do you feel sad when you leave the characters at the end of the book? And in this particular case, will there be a sequel for it? Well, I hope if I've done a good job, then I hope that readers will be sad when we when they finish the book in the sense that they want to know more, not sad because the books made them sad, um, but because they want to know more about the characters. And I certainly feel as if the characters are real. By the time I finish a book, I would be definitely sending them a Christmas card and I would know them. And it's always quite sad letting characters go. But I do tend to do that now and move on. In the past, I have written See, you know, books that are linked. Um, I wrote several series that were linked, but at the moment, I'm just pretty much sticking to, to you know, individual. So the story is is sort of complete in itself, and I won't go back there. So I doubt that I will do another story, but I may do. Who knows? You know what will happen in the future. At the moment, that's it, and they're all, you know, one assumes that they're going to go into the rest of their lives very well equipped, and I'm sure that they will have their problems, but they'll cope with them because of their, you know, friendships and uh, family and support structure. Excellent. I mean, I am hoping that you do do a sequel because <laughs> I was sad to leave them. I enjoyed it so much. Now, we've got some amazing readers' questions. So the first one is a audio question that we've had phoned in from Jean. Hello, this is Jean from Oxford, and I very much want to ask Sarah 
about writing seasonal novels, the sort that are set, for instance, in the summer holidays or at Christmas, like The Christmas Escape, which I'm very much enjoying. I wonder how the writing and publishing schedule works and whether Sarah finds herself writing summer novels in winter and Christmas novels in summer may be surrounded by Christmas decorations to provide atmosphere and inspiration. Uh, or is Sarah able to write a year ahead? So that even now, she's working on a novel for Christmas 2022. Oh, that's a great question. And and yes, indeed, Jean, I am writing um, a novel set for Christmas 22. So at the moment, I'm in exactly the right space and the right season, and this is all fine. Um, but I will still be writing it in January, February, and probably March, you know, because obviously there's lots of um, elements and we have an editing process. So I will still be looking at that book until March when Christmas is long gone. And it's just something that I've learned how to do, I suppose. I mean, the, the advantage is that although it's not Christmas, uh, February, March, it is still winter. We've had snow in March before now when I've been finishing off my Christmas book. So that's been very helpful. But it's true that with the way that I'm published with One Summer, One Winter, um, I am always right. I'm for a chunk of it. I do write out of season. Um, then I will be starting my summer book in around March when indeed we could have snow. Uh, so some of the book that I write will be in the correct season, but the rest of it won't. That's the answer. Yes, sometimes that can be that can be quite challenging. But again, it's just something that I've learned to do, really. And I do sometimes use props to help myself. So even now I have a little Christmas tree up um, and I've had that up since I started the book that I'm writing now, you know, early October. Uh, you know, and I've got my Christmas music. And if I need to get in the mood you know, I can. So I have things to help me. And I'm the one that still has a Christmas tree up in February, March, because I'm trying to keep myself in the mood. Um, and likewise, in the summer, you know, I can make myself feel summery. It's um, part of the job, really. I love that idea of even in the sort of blistering summer, you having that Christmas tree there <laughs> with all the scents and the Christmas, you know, scents that come through. Um, we've also got a, a question that's been emailed in from Anne Jones. She wants to know, what was your favourite book as a child? Oh, Anne, that's a great question. Well, I read a lot as a child um, and I went through different phases. I was a horse mad child for a while. So I read so much horse fiction, um, you know, the Flicker, Wyoming and Black Beauty, all of them. I just read everything to do with horses. Uh, and then I went through a historical novel phase and I read everything there was to read about the Tudors and I literally read everything from Jane Eyre to Jilly Cooper. I, so I read really widely, which was brilliant. I don't think I could name one favorite novel. And I have books from when I was little. I've still got my original version of Winnie the Pooh, which falls apart. And 101 Dalmatians. Well, I did love that one and I've still got the original. So maybe that was one of my favorites. I think it's so nice to keep your books from childhood. I've got my full collection of Topsy and Tim books and also Flossy Tea Cake, where she puts on a coat and, and goes off to be an 18-year-old all of a sudden, which I just thought as an eight-year-old was amazing that she could go out and drive a car. And it was it was just fabulous. So I think definitely hold on to those children's books. So we've got one last reader's question, and this is from Jenny, and she has phoned this through. Hello, this is Jenny Wurstel with a question for Sarah Morgan. Sarah, what is your top tip for aspiring novelists? Oh, thank you, Jenny. Let me think about that. One tip. Well, actually, I think my top tip is to um, keep going. I think that 
keeping going is the hardest thing when you're a writer because you're you're bound whether you're an experienced writer or a new writer you're bound to hit a moment where you think oh, I don't know what I'm doing I don't know what I'm writing next you have a crisis of confidence and the most important thing is to keep writing and keep going so I think if you're a new writer and you're trying to write something just make sure that you write a little bit every day read a lot actually that's that's more than one tip but do read because reading teaches you so much about um, what you would do, what you wouldn't do. Read critically. What do you enjoy? What don't you enjoy? You know, what makes you want to close the book? You don't want to be that sort of writer. You want people, you know, to be reading your book till three in the morning. Um, but most of all, yeah, best of all, absolutely just keep going. Don't give up even when it feels hard. What a great answer there, Sarah. And thank you so much for all of your fantastic answers and listeners for your brilliant questions. Remember, if you've got an all-important question to ask your favourite author, then check out the My Weekly website to find out which big authors are coming up on the podcast. That's www.myweekly.co.uk forward slash podcasts. And of course, send those questions to flyingbookshop at myweekly.co.uk. After all these fascinating insights from Sarah, you're sure to want to get a copy of her latest book. Don't forget, you can swipe down to the episode notes to buy your copy. Chapter 3, Book Post. Here we are in our final chapter with author Sarah Morgan. After rifling through our stacks, the book that has made it through the My Weekly Magical Flying Bookshop letterbox this week is... Sleigh Bells Ring by Rayanne Thane. As always, we promise not to reveal any spoilers, but just enough to entice you to read. Billed as the perfect holiday romance, the blurb says Angel's View manager Annie McCade thought her niece and nephew could join her for Christmas, with her absent employer being none the wiser. But when the ranch's new owner, Tate Sheridan, shows up out of the blue and ready to host Christmas for his family, Annie's plans are upended. Centred around a family tragedy and a misunderstanding at the Angels View Ranch, it's a race to get everything ready for Christmas, complete with all the festive build-up. It's well-written, pacey and heartwarming. Yet there is the romance, but it's about love for family, love for old friends. A lot of parallels, actually, with your writing, Sarah. Tell us, why did you pick it? Well, I must say first up that Rayanne and I are very good friends, um, but I was a fan of hers before we were friends. She's a very big author in the US. Um, she sells a lot of copies. She's a New York Times bestseller. Um, and I think her books have only really recently been starting to um, be recognized here in, in the UK. But she tackles some serious themes, but she does it with this light touch that just makes you sort of care and root for the characters. So the books feel very real. Um, you know, these are these are people, um, you know, life happens to as life does. And they feel really real. They're people that you'd like to meet. And she has this warmth. She has this ability to inject warmth um, that, uh, you know, I, I rarely encounter in an author, really. Her books are very comforting and full of emotion. I once did a workshop with Rayanne when we were in um, the US together. She said to me, let's do a workshop together on emotion, bringing emotion into a story, you know, um, emotional tension. So, you know, the sort of tension that does keep you still turning the pages, but not the sort that perhaps you'd get in a crime novel or, but it's still, you know, emotional tension is incredibly important um, in a sort of relationship um, character-based novel. 
So we did this presentation and, and I just found myself making notes while she was talking because she was so good. And I thought, oh, I've never thought of it like that before. And um, yeah, she was really excellent. And I thought I could completely see, this was very early stages of our friendship. I could completely see how she is um, so good at bringing this out in her books um, and exploring those emotional threads, if you like, within the story. So I, I think she's really a very talented writer. And I think for a Christmas book, you know, she brings all that warmth and obviously the settings. This one's in Wyoming and it's beautifully snowy and it's it's just what you need really. Very, very Christmassy. Definitely. I think it is those lovely detailed descriptions and settings that she did bring to life. If I'm honest, when I first saw it was a Mills and Boone, I didn't know what to think. And I knew that it'd been modernized and, you know, they've evolved so much. And I was seriously surprised and pleased with it and really did enjoy it. It's very evident that where the author lives, she gets that kind of beauty of the surrounding northern Utah mountains into her books and the sources of nature and inspiration surrounding her when she writes. In particular, I love the element of each bedroom having a little Christmas tree in it with its own decorations, this sort of grand sort of ranch and, and house and so on. Were you drawn to this particular setting? I loved it. I loved exactly as you did the Christmas trees. And I loved the fact that they used the photographs to try and um, recreate what the owners had originally done um, so that they were decorating each room uh, in, you know, in a very traditional style. I thought that was a very clever idea and it was, it was lovely. It was very festive. And yeah, I mean, the setting is is absolutely glorious. Yes, gorgeous, gorgeous. I, I mean, I love mountains, snowy mountains. I absolutely love them. So, you know, I'm I'm there all the time. <laughs> you can't go wrong with that. And I think also the characters, um, you know, the children, I particularly love the twins. They added even more warmth and even more magic, contrasted by the older relatives who had charm and almost a kind of mischievous nature to them. Who were your favourite characters in the book? I, I did like the twins too. I mean, they were they were fun um, and quite real. I think they were written in a way that was very real. Um, and of course, they they were quite instrumental in many of the plot, you know, bringing the characters together, which was which was quite interesting. I who did I like? I mean, I do I did like the main character Annie, but I suppose Tate. I thought Tate was great. I wouldn't mind Tate carrying my Christmas tree home. <laughs> Definitely from the description, <laughs> I wouldn't mind living on the ranch. Actually, well, no, actually, I mean, talking about the things that we love, it's interesting to hear about your love of horses. And I too am a keen horse rider we're horse mad oh there we are you see and there were horses in this book that was my favorite we, we need Sheridan and we need the horses <laughs> as, a, as a horse rider there were some lovely descriptions in there I found the stables that perfect antidote to sitting at my desk all day you know yes. and the calmness of the horses that kind of ability to look into the soul and she kind of managed to get this over in words is this where you sort of find your solace with horses? And do you sort of ever talk to the horses about your new novel sort of ideas at all? Yes, sadly, my my life is quite short of horses at the moment, um, sadly. But if they if it wasn't, I would definitely be talking to horses. Yes, I had my own for a while. I was lucky enough to have my own. That was amazing. But that's going back a while. Um, I would definitely be talking to the horses because at the moment I'm if I need to talk to someone because there's no one around and I'm needing to brainstorm, it's going to probably be my stuffed moose or something, <laughs> the elk that I got from Sweden. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so yes, if I had a live horse, I'd definitely 
definitely be talking to it. Yeah. I just love those references and how she brought them in. It was just, it was, it was really lovely. And also with the puppies and the dog, there was this sense of Christmas and giving and charity. Charity was a real important thread throughout with Annalise making and giving away the blankets and also Tate with his work across the Sheridan Trust. They were quite subtle references. Do you think this was done really well? Yes, I do actually. And obviously them all helping to do the house. Well, again, I don't want to do spoilers, but you know, they they basically was a community coming together and it was very much about people thinking about each other and being thoughtful and caring. And, you know, people often are like that. And if you read the news, you'd think that, you know, we're all completely lost and, and people are awful. But when you actually look around you and you see what people do do for each other, it's, it's a lot. Um, and people are, you know, often very good. And I think that that's something that Rayanne brings into her books, that sense of community and reaching out and supporting each other. And I think she always introduces that into her books, which is one of the reasons that you're left with this lovely, hopeful, warm feeling as if you've been sort of part of something, um, part of the community she's writing about. Absolutely. There is so much emotion there in the pages. You almost feel like sighing. You know, when I sort of got to the end, I was like, oh. In fact, her motto is stories of hope, healing and heart. For me, it was the right balance. I was worried it would be a little bit cheesy, you know, but it wasn't, it was anything but that. How hard do you think it is to convey emotion, but also make it feel good fiction? And do you agree with me that she got it spot on? I think she absolutely got it spot on. And she is she is just so good at, at writing that. And I think it's incredibly hard to have that hopeful without being cheesy. And I think it's, I think one of the ways she does it, and of course it's very skillful, is that she is really writing about um, some quite dark, serious themes. So these are things that happen to people. It's a lot, the characters have a lot to cope with, a lot to go through, as many people do. And I suppose it's about the way that she's, um, she brings her characters through that. That Yes, it's very, very clever. It's very clever. I admire her enormously. Oh, thank you so much for choosing it, Sarah. What a heartwarming and relatable book. And if you listeners want to grab a copy, then don't forget to swipe down to episode notes to find out how. Thanks so much, Sarah Morgan, for coming on the My Weekly Magical Flying Bookshop podcast. Do drop by again soon. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great time at my weekly's magical flying bookshop has come to an end for this episode join us next time for more big name authors stories and extracts read just for you and our favorite book recommendations landing wherever you are whether you're out with the dogs in a pair of sturdy walking shoes heading into work or cozied up at home in your comfiest slippers if you love fiction cooking and interviews with your favourite celebrities, then you'll love My Weekly. And as a listener to The Magical Flying Bookshop, you can try 13 issues of the print or digital magazine for just £6. Head to myweekly.co.uk forward slash podcasts or call 0800 318 846 and quote the offer code MWPOD. That's MWPOD to save more than 60% on the cover price. Check the episode notes for details and terms. That's all for now. Pick up your copy of My Weekly and escape with our fiction stories. And until you pop into the bookshop again, have a wonderful booktastic week. I'm Claire Gill 
And this was my weekly's Magical Flying Bookshop, sponsored by Pavers, your perfect style. <laughs>